If you are just joining us, welcome. This is our second week of this series, Rhythms of Life. And here's the gist of what we're trying to get at in this series. Humans, people, we want structure. We want repetition. We crave a rhythm to life. And as a church, we're convinced that Jesus has a rhythm for our lives, that Jesus leads us up, he leads us in, he leads us out, he leads us with, and he does it at his own pace, Godspeed. So up, in, out, with, Godspeed. These are the rhythms that we want to define our church. And so for this five-week series, we're looking at each of these rhythms in turn. Uh, last week, we looked at the rhythm up or upward, and we talked about how we're called to have a one-thing focus, to be onward and upward toward Christ in our lives. The in rhythm, on the other hand, is beholding that reality within ourselves. Psalm 139 says, The Lord has made my innermost being. That there is a you, a non-reducible you that stays throughout all time and change and seasons that the Lord wants you to tend to with him. And that's what our inner reality is. And that's what our inward rhythm is about. It's about tending to this innermost self. And so the idea that drives our inward rhythm, the idea that we'll look at this morning is this. We're called to behold Jesus in our innermost being. That's it. We're called to behold Jesus in our innermost being. So if you have a Bible, open it up with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, if you lost this Bible, you can come pick it up after the service, but I'm borrowing it today, so thank you. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse... 18. It's my favorite verse in the New Testament. We all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Who are you? When I ask this question, I immediately think of the greatest movie of the 21st century, Zoolander. Uh, Zoolander's a male model, but he's been dethroned by Hansel, and he's having an existential crisis on the side street of New York, and he looks into the puddle, and he says, who am I? And his puddle reflection responds, I don't know. Uh, who are you? Do you know? Do you know? As our creative offering so elegantly put it, we could say a lot of things, really. Am I the person walking down the street? Am I my feelings? Am I the young kid who got excited about things? Am I that brand or the other brand? Am I my thoughts? Am I my accomplishments? Am I my fears? Am I my 12-year-old self? Am I who my friends think I am? Who am I? An entire industry has been established to answer this question, the self-help industry. And since 2008, it has netted about $11 billion a year. I would suggest that they have no interest in actually helping you answer the question because they have a vested interest in you asking it. Who are you? As of late, the self-help movement is saying, you are your authentic self. Your innermost being, the you that is deep within you, that's who you are. Anybody heard of Brene Brown? 
course you have. She's like the Pope of the internet right now. She's got uh, four bestsellers uh, in the New York Times. She's written in a variety of ways about authenticity and shame, and she is a brilliant woman, a great writer. And, and she says this about authenticity. Authenticity is the daily practice of letting go of who we think we're supposed to be and embracing who we are. It's about the choice to show up and be real, the choice to be honest, the choice to let our true selves be seen. But how do we identify this true self? Where is this true self within us? If you've ever watched daytime television, you know Dr. Phil. He says this about the authentic self. It is the part of you that is not defined by your job or your function or your role. It is the composite of all your unique gifts, skills, abilities, interests, talents, insights, and wisdom. It's your strengths and values that are uniquely yours and need expression versus what you've been programmed to believe that you're supposed to be and do. And then he says, it is the you that flourished unselfconsciously in those times in your life when you felt happiest and most fulfilled. Some of us in this room, we are so bought into this cultural moment of authenticity that when we read quotes like this, we can't even identify anything wrong with them. When you heard those quotes, did any red flags go up? Any resistance? One of the struggles we should have with this culture of authenticity is how selective it is. Much of the culture of authenticity assumes that the most authentic you is the best part of you, the strong you, the healthy you, the good you, the caring you that is evidently beneath the surface somewhere in you. And we shouldn't scoff at these things. Of course, we would want people to be like that. But what makes us think that's our most authentic self? Can I not authentically be a jerk? Julia would say I can't. I authentically like yelling out of the window of a car, not mean things, I just like yelling out of the window of a car driving by people. And I authentically like doing that, but that had to stop because Julia says people don't like that. Agree to disagree, but I authentically like that. There's another concern we should share about this culture of authenticity. Who determines who determines your most authentic self? What's the reference point? How are you assessing it? Is it based on what other people are telling you is the most authentic you? Or are you simply the point of reference? Is it your call? Is it your decision? Is it your discernment? Is it your self-vision? You see, if the criterion for determining our most authentic self is ourselves, it's idolatry. Because we are standing in the place of God and saying, this is why I was made. This is who I am. This is my life. But God is our creator. God is our maker. God is the one who called you into being and has a purpose for your life. God knows who you are and declares who you are. But the authenticity movement says, no, I declare who I am. It's idolatry. But the culture of authenticity also... You know, they assert there is this authentic you that only you can determine. And to this you, you must always be true, whatever the cost. And Shakespeare is getting all these memes lately, you know, and they love to quote this from the authenticity movement. Above all, to thine own self be true. Have you heard this? And of course, this is a great Shakespeare quote. When put in context, it's from the fool in Hamlet. 
Shakespeare is saying, the fool says this. The fool says, my own whims, my own fancies, whatever is arising within me, I'm going to be true to that alone. That's foolishness. You see, if we engage in this cultural moment of authenticity uncritically, we will end up in idolatry and foolishness. Now, I want to be fair. There's a lot of good in this movement, too. Brene Brown is brilliant. She has a lot of good to say about authenticity, and she has more nuanced uh, perspectives than a lot of the other authors. She says, the core of authenticity is the courage to be imperfect, vulnerable, and to set boundaries. This is a good step in the right direction. I mean, if you're going to try to find a true self, a true self within you, then that true self must have truth. And Brene Brown says, if we're going to be true, it's embracing that we're imperfect. But if we're going to be true to ourselves, we have to do more than that. We have to be willing to be displeasing to ourselves. We have to be willing to be displeasing to ourselves. And we have to admit that our imperfection is much more than imperfection. Stanley Hauerwas, great theologian, he's coming to speak at the Lang Lectures at Regent, uh, I don't know, sometime this year. And he's brilliant on this. And this is what he writes. The story Christians tell of God exposes the unwelcome fact that I am a sinner. For without such a narrative, the fact and nature of my sin cannot help but remain hidden in self-deception. Our sin wants to remain hidden. Our sin wants to deny its sinfulness. And this is so evident in a cultural moment that is certain that humanity is good. Despite some of the greatest atrocities occurring on the planet that humanity has ever known. But we don't want to look at that. We don't want to look at the fact that humanity is the culprit of our own suffering. So who are you? I realize I'm belaboring the point. Who is the authentic, true you? Because if we're honest, it's hard to grasp ourselves. I'm one person in one context, slightly different in another context. I'm different when I'm talking to myself than when I'm talking to others. You know, I'm different depending how much sleep I got or the last time I ate or if the two are coming together to produce some great old anger. And all of this, the complexity of what it means to be human is why St. Augustine wrote this, I find myself hard to grasp. St. Augustine, smarter than all of us, I find myself hard to grasp. St. Basil, we are more likely to understand the heavens than ourselves. So maybe if we're really going to be vulnerable, if we're truly honest, if we're going to be authentic, it starts with admitting, I don't know who I am. I don't know who I am. Maybe we all need to be more like Zoolander than we realize. And in fact, if we want to discover true authenticity, I think it actually has to begin there. I don't know who I am. And all of this needs to be in our minds because this is our cultural moment and this is what our passage in Corinthians speaks into so brilliantly. So now let's turn to our passage in detail. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, St. Paul writes, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So for a moment, let's put aside the question, 
who am I, and ask a different question. Who am I becoming? What we see in this passage is that we can become people with unveiled faces, which sounds a lot like we could become a person without a persona or without a mask, without a front. We could be an authentic self. But that's not exactly what Paul's talking about here. Paul is talking about a moment in Exodus where Moses ascended Mount Sinai. He met with the Lord. He received the Ten Commandments. He came back down and his face was shining because he had been in the glory of the Lord. And understandably, this freaked people out. Shiny faced Moses was a little more than they could bear. And because everyone, even his own brother, were afraid to gaze upon Moses, he wore a veil. And Paul points out he wore this veil until the glory would pass away because it was a temporary glory. Why is Paul talking about this moment of all moments? The point is simple. God's glory rubs off on us. God's glory rubs off on us. And when God's glory rubs off on us, we become truly alive, truly human, the most authentic version of ourselves. Moses was more Moses with God's glory than he was without. But people in their sin, they weren't prepared for it. People couldn't handle someone so authentically human, someone radiating from the presence of God. And so Moses wore a veil until the glory wore off. But now, now we live in a moment that is more similar to a wedding than to this moment in Exodus. Uh, some people who are a little more traditional when they get married uh, wear, wear veils. And if you're a bride or a groom and you choose to wear a veil, that's your call. And, and if you're wearing a veil, there's a powerful moment in the wedding. Isn't there? Uh, Heidi and Shannon caught that one. But there's a powerful moment when the veil's lifted. I mean... We're not talking like Old Testament surprise, like, ah, this isn't the person I thought it was. We're talking that the veil is lifted. You're seeing the person you've always seen, but what, what's different? They're radiating. They're beaming because they're loved and expressing love. The veil is lifted, and you see this person truly alive. It's a beautiful moment. And now, now Paul writes... We're beholding that same glory that Moses saw with faces unveiled. With faces unveiled. In other words, it's time for all of us to have God's glory rub off on us too. And so Paul writes, we are being transformed into his image with increasing glory. We're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. You are being transformed. So yes, the question we need to ask is who am I becoming? Who are you becoming? Change is always a possibility. This is a hill I will die on. We are not static people. You are not permanently tethered to your past. You're not stuck in your mistakes. You're not solely the culmination of your life up until this point. Now, don't get me wrong. Your past, it matters. Your past has defined you up until this point. Your past may impact the degree to which you can believe anything I'm saying right now. Your past has constructed versions of yourself that impact the present. I'm not denying any of that. But you, the most authentic you, is being transformed. It's emerging. The word Paul uses for transformed, it's the same word 
used in the account of the transfiguration. Do you remember this scene? Like Moses, Jesus goes up a mountain. He brings some disciples. They see him transformed and his glory bursts forth. And John and, and Peter and James, they see the glory of Jesus and Peter realizes what this means. It means time to build tents. Jesus was transfigured. He was transformed. His glory radiated out. The glory of God in the flesh. Same word. Same idea. We are being transformed into that glory. We, our inner lives, are being transformed into the same glory of the Lord. It means then we're being changed inwardly, doesn't it? So who are you becoming? You are becoming like Christ. You are becoming like Christ. God's glory is rubbing off on us. Our up rhythm as a church, again, it means we want to have a one thing approach to life. We want to pursue Jesus in every shape, way, and form we can. But the inward rhythm then reminds us that we're in the process of also becoming like the one we're pursuing. You're sharing in his likeness, but I want to make something clear here. As we're being transformed into his likeness, as we're sharing in the glory of Jesus, we don't lose ourselves. We're called to deny ourselves, but we don't lose ourselves. In Vancouver, New Age spirituality is rampant. And what they say is we're all one consciousness. You know, we're all the same being experiencing itself subjectively, which makes a lot of sense if you're on acid. There, there's only one consciousness experiencing itself in different forms. And eventually we're going to return to that oneness. We'll return to the oneness and be absorbed. Your sense of you, your sense of being an individual, it's a temporary illusion. And this at times is brought into Christian theology. But to be clear, this is nowhere in the scriptures, and this is not what Paul has in mind. Being transformed into Christ's likeness does not erase you. You can never eradicate yourself. Rather, you will become more fully you. You'll become most fully yourself in Christ. The most true and free and Honest Alistair is the Alistair in Christ. The most true and real Davy is the Davy in Christ. The most true and real Emily is the Emily in Christ. You become more fully and truly authentic the more you're transformed into the image of Christ. As you become more like him, surprisingly, you become more like yourself. Which means this, there is a you that matters. There is a you that matters immensely. You matter because the God of the universe has called you into being. He has given you the ability to reflect upon your own existence. He has breathed your life into existence. But you will never truly be you. You will never truly be authentic until Christ dwells in you and begins the work of restoring this image of God in us that has been marred because of sin. Day by day, though, degree by degree, Jesus, he's renewing our inner lives. He's transforming us into his image. And the true self that emerges is the most free self you'll ever know. One verse prior, Paul writes this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But to join Jesus in this inner journey of discovering ourselves in true spirit, 
true spirit freedom. We have to decenter ourselves. We can't remain the center of our innermost being. We have to be decentered. We have to deny ourselves and center our innermost being around Jesus. But I want us to hold on to this truth before we move any further. You cannot and you will not know yourself without knowing the one in whose image you were made. You cannot know yourself without knowing whose image you were made. Because Jesus, he calls our authentic self into being each and every single day. Each and every single day, you're in the process of discovering yourself in Christ. And as Jesus transforms our innermost being, the only way to speak of this transformation in any appropriate way is old and new. Old and new. St. Paul to the Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24. Put off your old self. He uses clothing language here. Put off yourself which is being corrupted by deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, I'm not just pulling one random thought from Paul. This is his thought about Christian transformation throughout all his letters. We are in the process of becoming new in Christ, of being transformed and ushered into his likeness. And it's so stark, it's so profound that we can only speak of these realities in old and new. See, day by day, degree by degree, as Jesus transforms you then, it means renewing us, restoring us, deconstructing us, removing parts that are no longer necessary, which means this, there's parts of you that need to die, but there's parts of you that need to be restored and redeemed, and there's areas where new life needs to emerge where nothing was before. There's parts of us that need to die. I haven't always been a preacher with amazing hand gestures. This was not who I set out to become in life. And I'm not proud of much of my life before I met Jesus. And so everything I'm sharing, I'm sharing not to boast about how uh, debaucherous I was, but to actually shame who I was. Um, I, if you had met me pre-2004, I would have told you I am authentic. I'm an authentic person. And I was. I was authentically faithful only to myself. I dated a lot of people. I was never once faithful to a single person I dated, and I even had relationships that lasted years. I wasn't even a faithful friend. I, I cheated uh, with friends' fiancés multiple times. Again, I'm not saying this to say this was good. I'm just saying, even in the midst of that, I thought I was being authentic. If you had said, are you an authentic person? Even while betraying my good friends, I would have said, yeah, yeah of course, I'm authentic. You see, when I started to follow Jesus, immediately there was stuff in me that had to die. It had to die because these actions, the way I was living, it was leading to death anyways. And in Christ, it just got the funeral it deserved. This part of me had to die. But there is another part of me within this part of me, because we're complex like that, that needed to be restored, that needed new life breathed into it. You see, the person who was living unfaithfully to so many people was a person who was crying out for love, a person who was so desperate to be seen and known, and God looked at that part of my soul and said, this I can work with. You've been expressing it in all the wrong ways. Those actions need to die. These parts of you need to die, but this part of you, this can be restored. This can be redeemed. This can be released 
so that you can learn to love as you're truly meant to love, so that you can be seen and known in the way that you're truly meant to be seen and known. But then there are parts of me where new life had to emerge from nothingness. I didn't know how to forgive. I didn't. When people betrayed me, I just wrote them off. Just stopped being in a relationship with them. Which is ironic, given how full of betrayal I was, but I, I, I didn't know how to forgive, but then Christ lives in me and he birthed forgiveness. And when, when I uh, start figuring out, well, how do I follow Jesus? All of a sudden, I, I cared about other people. I never cared about anyone other than myself. God's honest truth. But all of a sudden, I'm passionate about the things that are going on in other people's lives, and I want to serve them, and I want to give my time to them. This was not a natural disposition or trait in me. And then all of a sudden, I get this gift of teaching and preaching and a desire to be a pastor. When I was a teenager, I did not want to grow up and be what I am right now. I didn't. And guess what? I actually love it. It's the strangest thing. New life emerged out of nothingness. Again, I'm only talking about my, myself to point out that it's not so simple to say that there was an authentic Alistair buried somewhere in there. I was authentically all of that, and I'm authentically who I am in this moment. We're complex. And do you know why we're complex? We're made in the image of God, and how can you ever fully fathom God's image in you? There's always going to be somewhat a degree of mystery about who we are, and then we get broken, and it makes it even more complicated. So, the only authentic you is the you that is being renewed by Jesus. That's the only you that will ever matter ultimately. But here's what's so beautiful about finding our true authenticity in Christ. We're seen and we're known. We're seen and we're known. Jesus sees and knows not just the parts that we prefer to present, not the parts we hold back or the parts or the words that we try to not utter or the thoughts we wish we didn't think. He knows all of that. He sees and he knows that and he dwells with us. But he also sees the good you want to do, the yearnings you have for what is right, your desire to contribute to the world in meaningful ways. Jesus sees and he knows that too. He sees and knows you and dwells in you and loves you through and through. And so when Christ dwells in us, we're seen and known. And this is why the inward rhythm is so important to us as a community. See, inward in our community is about the real you, the messy you, the entire you, the beautiful you, the complex you, the simple you, the you, good or bad, that is in desperate need of Jesus. For example, once a month, our community groups have an inward night. Anybody love the inward night? Favorite rhythm? One, two people, three people, all right. In this inward rhythm, once a month, we get together and you just share what's authentically happening in your life. It might be bland. Some, sometimes I have a bland week, nothing to share. There's nothing wrong with that. Authentically, I'm bland. But then there's other times people share what's going on. Doubts or struggles or hurts or relationships that are not functioning well. Or they share where they see life springing out of nowhere. We're good. You know, authenticity means there's a rejoicing and a weeping that can go hand in hand in that moment. But we share, we open up ourselves to be seen and known, not because it's safe, but because we know we're seen and known by Christ. 
And the spirit that dwells in us, that sees and knows us, also dwells in the people we call brothers and sisters. And if we offer ourselves, we open up our lives to be seen and known by our brothers and sisters in whom the spirit dwells. There's an opportunity to experience grace in a profound way. Now, don't get me wrong. People are going to botch it up from time to time. Inward isn't always going to go well. But what's beautiful about grace in our community is to say, I'm sorry, let me try again. I see how my words hurt you. I was wrong. I don't need to try to fix myself and say, I should have been this. That's what I did. I'm sorry. Let me try again. You see, grace gives us the freedom to give grace to others and give grace to ourselves so that we can be seen and known. And we need to be seen and known by others because otherwise our sin tries to hide itself. You see, you need other people to look at your life and say, hey, like you seem to trust me enough. Like There's this thing that I got to talk to you about. But we also need people that we trust and love enough who can say, there's good in you that you're not acknowledging. There's things going on in you that I think is God, and this is an opportunity to celebrate. But we also need people to say, hey, for three years, I've heard you talking about this thing you want to do, and you've never done it. And it seems like it could be good, but you're not getting there. Maybe we need to be praying for new life to emerge here. This is why we need to be seen and known, because we don't know ourselves as we ought we can become known in Christ. And he says, become known in my church. But of course, the question is how? This is all grand, right? Like, this is a great vision. How do we become like Christ? This is why I love this passage, 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed. Your contemplation of the Lord's glory is the key to your transformation. So if the up rhythm is about pursuing Jesus, the in rhythm is about bringing this focus into our innermost being of contemplating and beholding the Lord in us. This language of contemplate, it talks about, it's like looking into a mirror. So as we gaze upon Christ, his reflection becomes our own. His reflection changes us. And so to contemplate the Lord's glory, to contemplate his beauty, we have to have practices and disciplines that help us see who Jesus really is. Because the problem is we like to construct Jesus in our image. And so Jesus is either always gracious and kind and never challenges us, or we construct a Jesus who hates us as much as we hate ourselves. But the Jesus that we come to know in the scriptures is both a Jesus of grace and mercy and kindness and of challenge and rebuke and even judgment. See, we need to come and behold Christ as he truly is in the scriptures. And that's why you need practices and disciplines to help you see clearly who Jesus really is. Don't read the Bible just because we tell you to read the Bible. Read the Bible because this is an inspired book about the identity of Jesus Christ. And as you come to know who he is, you'll come to know who you are. Don't pray because we tell you you should pray. Pray because it opens you up to the God of the universe that you can come to know and who will also help you come to know yourself. We need practices and disciplines that help us contemplate and behold the Lord's glory so that we can be transformed into his likeness. But again, how does that happen? Our responsibility is contemplating. 
But if you look at Paul here, God's responsibility is the transformation. He says, this comes from the Spirit who is the Lord. See, you don't have to try to force God's hand in your transformation. The Spirit of Jesus who dwells in you through faith, he changes you. Your responsibility is to behold him, to tend to this space where Christ is present in your life. And if you're thinking, well, where's the Holy Spirit? How do I get the Holy Spirit? God wants to give you the Spirit. He does. Jesus says in Luke's Gospel, if you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, the Spirit's work in our lives, it might be mysterious and subtle at times. It might be evident. It might come with feelings of joy and peace. But day in, day out, the Spirit is at work renewing and changing us into Christ's image. And so the point of the inward rhythm is this. Christ is in you. Christ is in you. And as you behold him, you will also become like him. And that is your most authentic self. The part of you that is becoming like Christ, because that's the only part of you that will remain in eternity. But the good news is that part of you is good and beautiful and true and most fully you.